ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. When the mind stops, awareness remains. In this episode, Eckhart talks to a live audience in Arizona. He begins by saying the mind can be a wonderful thing, that we have ability to think, speak languages, and engage in creativity. But Eckhart explains when we get too caught up in the mind, we lose touch with awareness. Eckhart cites moments in history, like Nazi Germany, for example, when what he calls a virus of the mind took over and resulted in destruction on a mass scale. Eckhart warns, when we create mind-made concepts about others as different from ourselves, we become desensitized to their inherent aliveness, and we cannot see that in our deepest essence, we are all the same. Eckhart encourages that by learning from history, we don't have to make the same mistakes going forward. He says, looking back at yesterday is the perfect catalyst to help us awaken today. My script for today's talk <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen <laughs> People who are joining us remotely have submitted questions Another beautiful day I've had an idea for a young person, perhaps, who is looking for a career, an easy one. I would recommend study of meteorology and then, upon completion, apply for a job as a weatherman or weatherwoman at a local Arizona TV station. <laughs> the least stressful job you could imagine. <laughs> the weather today will be about the same as yesterday. <laughs> Clear skies. Uh, <clears throat> uh, and tomorrow will be the same as today. Possibly one degree lower. And the long-range weather forecast is very similar. <laughs> On a slightly more serious note, modern technology, which in many cases amplifies human unconsciousness, is in itself neutral, so it can also be used to help in the shift to a higher level of consciousness. So if you feel a contribution may be happening through you, you may want to consider using a platform and disseminate in whatever form 
spiritual teaching or consciousness, the infinite possibilities. If you're too afraid to speak, maybe you feel a little inhibited in front of a camera or your phone, you could just do meditations, gazing meditations. Make sure though you're free of thought, otherwise it doesn't work. There's no predicting how many subscribers you will get on YouTube. <laughs> or if that doesn't appeal to you, you could become what is known as an ASMR artist. Some of you may not know what that is started a few years ago. I've spoken about it a few times. It's a phenomenon on YouTube whereby people often don't say anything but they engage in seemingly pointless activities that make certain noises and that require the viewer's presence it happened spontaneously, it developed. Somebody must have started it 10 years ago or whenever, and then it caught on. Now there are hundreds or thousands of people doing it, some very successfully. Uh, that shows that there is, the good ones have a, there's a spiritual dimension to it. And there's a need for it in humans, perhaps to not realize it, that there is a spiritual dimension, and that need is, to get out of themselves, to, to transcend temporarily the person or the personality by the act of giving fullest attention to certain sense perceptions, which in this case is both the visual and the auditory. People are encouraged to put headphones on while they watch these videos, and then you have people, uh, the people who produce them, they may just have something here that they have usually very sensitive microphones and they, they may, for example, be shuffling papers for 15 minutes that make certain noises or they have a hairbrush and they go or they make strange sounds with their mouths. It seems very weird. Um, if it's done well, it puts the viewer into the state of presence. Although some are actually designed to put people to sleep, so that would be the opposite. Uh, the whole phenomenon is called ASMR. People claim that it produces a certain tingling sensation in their head and back and their back, and that is one phenomenon that happens, but the other that's not really recognized is that People become still while they listen and watch, and they have a state of attention. There's a cessation of thinking while they watch and listen somebody produce these noises. So that was just a suggestion for you. <laughs> have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort.
Do you remember the story I uh, recounted in a, I believe, in a New Earth? The story of a Zen master who is on a pilgrimage. That's the ancient word for hike. He's on a. <laughs> he's on a pilgrimage somewhere uh, with a disciple. And so they're walking in silence, of course. Except, of course, a disciple hasn't quite arrived yet at the realization that Zen aims at. So the, the, the disciple is walking, but obviously thinking while he's walking. Finally, they sit down somewhere for a little picnic a break. And then disciple says to the master, Master, I've been thinking, I don't quite, still don't get it. I've been here for five years and I still don't get the, what is the essence of what you teach. What, what is that essence? I just can't get it. I've been, I've been trying to figure it out, but I can't. And the master said, can you hear the sound of that mountain stream? And the disciple said, what mountain stream? I don't hear anything. The master said, listen carefully. And so the disciple goes. And then in the very far distance, the disciple hears the sound of water of a little mountain stream, very distant. And then the disciple says, yeah, I can hear it now, Master. And the Master says, that is the, something like, that is the portal into Zen, or there is the beginning of Zen, that's it, that's it. And for a moment, I don't know how long the disciple actually gets it, wow. And he gets it because his mind stops and awareness remains. And why did that happen? Because all his consciousness, conscious attention was required for the, in this case, auditory perception. There wasn't enough left, so to speak, to be consumed by thinking. So there was a cessation of thinking and the arising of presence. The master very cleverly arranged it for him in, the, in that way, rather than saying stop thinking, which wouldn't work. So that the disciple got it. In some versions there's a continuation of the story. They, so they finish their picnic, they walk on, and an hour later, by then the disciple has fallen back into a stream of useless thinking, of course. And the uh, disciple says, I have another question, Master. If I hadn't been able to hear that mountain stream, what do what you have said then? Okay, slight correction in how, how I told the story before I finish it. <laughs> when the disciple originally says, yes, I can hear the mountain stream, yes, I can hear it, the master says, enter Zen from there or from here, enter Zen from there, enter Zen from here. In other words, that's the entry point into Zen, this moment. And then hours later, when the disciples have been thinking again, they're walking again, what would you have said if I'd said to you, I can't hear the mountain stream, what would you have said then? <laughs> the mind is so weird, it never stops the ruminations. And the master raised his finger and said, enter Zen from there from here. Every point is 
These things cannot be explained. You spoil them if you explain them. I just explained it, unfortunately. (laughs) (laughs) The mind that doesn't stop. You have the the mind, such a wonderful tool, such a wonderful instrument for creation, the ability to think that's inseparable from the arising of language, the ability to use language. And thinking is a kind of inner talk, and it grew and grew, and gradually it took over. And so humans lost their connectedness with being, which before the realizing of thinking was unconscious, but they felt that deep, they did not live in a state of, in a problem-making state of anxiety, or if there was fear, it was short-lived because there was immediate danger, but there was no anxiety or fear generated by the thinking process, because there was no thinking process. There was no, identities that were before the time that Narcissus saw his image in the pool of water and became obsessed with it. The first selfie, the world's first selfie, me, that's me. And then people began to have a relationship with themselves. I hate myself, I love myself. Sometimes I hate myself and sometimes I love myself. Loving yourself is certainly preferable to hating yourself. I would recommend it. But it's not the last step. It's an intermediate step. Beyond loving yourself is no longer having a relationship with yourself. (laughs) I'm ending the relationship with myself. (laughs) Goodbye. (laughs) This is it. After loving yourself, the next step is simply being yourself. Oh, then you neither you don't hate yourself, you don't, you can't really say I love myself because the moment you say I love myself, you have created a duality, I and myself. So who is that self that you either love or hate, and who are you? <laughs> hmm. And that's a very liberating to be yourself, to not have relationship with yourself anymore. It's just wonderful. And that also means you have let go of any conceptualization of who or what you are, deriving your sense of self from some kind of story you tell yourself, conceptual sense of self. That's a wonderful liberation because the stories are never that great. Some people have a very sad story of what they call my life. Others have a more pleasant story, but it's still a story. And an image in your mind, that's me. And then you look for your self-worth, sense of worthiness, look for many things there self-confidence, worthiness, 
and you try to try to bring it about. I'm good enough, and so on. And a time comes when you are connected to the being of yourself. You don't need to affirm anymore that you are good enough because you are in touch directly with the goodness of life, which is there. The ancient Greek philosophers called it the good, and many academic philosophers, of course, don't know actually what they're talking about. Bissier cannot know what they're talking about because that was based on experience rather than manipulating concepts. The good. It's strange that in the English language, by some weird coincidence, good and God seem to be very closely related. So awareness frees you from all that, and then the awareness becomes what it always was, but you didn't know it, becomes who you are. The consciousness is who or what, and there's no duality in it. You can't have a relationship with your consciousness. <laughs> Without the awareness, you're at the mercy of whatever goes on in your mind, including your, uh, you have little or no immunity, depending on your degree of presence or awareness. If there's little or no awareness, in other words, total identification with the stream of thinking, then you are very susceptible to mental illnesses and dysfunctions and mental, even mental pandemics that affect large numbers of people. And you may have noticed on a personal level, sometimes it happens that certain thoughts uh, Usually there's a stream of useless thinking and for many people it goes on and on. There's certain recurring patterns in it, yes, according to the particular conditioning of, of this person's mind. And occasionally it happens that one thought or a couple of, a bundle of related thoughts get stuck in your, in your mind and they refuse to go away. They begin to influence and affect other thoughts uh, and they spread in your mind. Every thought that arises in your mind is in some way contaminated by one original faulty thought that may be totally irrational, but it has taken possession of your mind in a very minor and relatively harmless way, it happens there, you say, I just can't get, st I can't, go can't stop thinking about this. It just goes, I can't get rid of it. And, and then you have certain, certain ideas in your mind that are a complete distortion of reality. And then you look at reality through the lens of that distorted lens of your thoughts. Any kind of prejudice, for example, is of that kind. Let's say you have a racial prejudice. Prejudice means prejudice, pre-judgment. So before you know the reality, the judgment has already occurred. 
for example, in the case of racism, you have a judgment that a certain race has particular qualities that are regarded as negative in some way. So, and then that becomes a lens through which you can no longer meet any human be being belonging to that race because the conceptualization in your mind has already deadened your perception to the aliveness of that human being. You're totally blinded by the uh, uh, concepts in your mind through which you look at reality. It could also be political. You can have a certain view, certain political views of certain groups of people, as happened, for example, in communism, where suddenly the belief arose and millions of people got infected by it, that reality or humanity can be divided into two groups, <laughs> the oppressor and the oppressed. Now, oppression, of course, existed in humanity and exists to some extent in some places more than in others, but it's only one of many factors that determine societies and how they function together. But if so, if you, you take one and say this is the only one, the only valid one, that means a huge section of humanity through conceptualization, to conceptualizing that section of humanity, you say they are no longer human to you. The moment you do that, you conceptualize other humans, you are completely desensitized to their inherent aliveness, let alone the ability to relate to them and to relate to them and recognize the essence of who they are. So it's the same as, as your essence. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. Then this belief takes a hold of your mind and you look, you classify immediately every human being that you come into contact with. Is he or she oppressor or oppressed? <laughs> Once you have deadened yourself to the aliveness of other humans, the next step is very easy and often happens, and that's violence and even killing them, because to you they are no longer human. And the, there is a dysfunction inherent in the human mind which can manifest itself collectively, and then it gets it's really bad, and it manifests itself, of course, on a personal level. And uh, there are times in human history when this dysfunction becomes magnified. So there are t times of collective mental illness. They can last a few decades, they can last a few years. And then finally, just like a physical illness, finally it exhausts itself and, and comes to an end. So this, the basic dysfunction that's already built into the egoic consciousness then in a collective group setting, which is, could be a country or a tribe or a religion or a sect, it suddenly becomes amplified. And in a country, for example, millions of people can suddenly be trapped in the exactly same dysfunctional mindset. And usually violence happens then, as it happened, for example, under Soviet communism in Russia, 
National Socialism in Germany, Mao's Cultural Revolution in China, millions upon millions killed. If you want to learn about human dysfunction, I recommend reading history books about that. Millions upon millions killed because they were regarded as not human anymore. They had been conceptualized as the enemy. In a small country like Cambodia, it happened in the, I believe it was the 70s, under the dictator Pol Pot, and the army was called the Khmer Rouge Army. They killed one-third of the population, exterminated. Totally, in the, tortured, put in prison camps. Everybody who lived in the cities had to leave the city. If you had the slightest education, you were part of the oppressors. If you wore glasses, you were, because it means you could read, you were part of the oppressors. If your hand did not show sign of manual labor, you were part of the oppressors, immediately sent to labor camps or out to the countryside to work in the fields and starve there, and they did. One third of the population starved to death or was killed, and that was regarded as necessary to bring about a more just world, all in service of the future. So you transform the present into hell in order to create a better future. <laughs> the means justifies the end. That's the belief. But unfortunately, or what, that is not the case, the means corrupts the end. And the end becomes meaningless if you create hell in order to reach it. <laughs> so it's easily recognized as insane, completely insane. And then at some point it subsides. It can't sustain itself for that long. It's an illness. So the, there are mental illnesses that affect, can affect millions of people. And then they subside. And sometimes it's smaller groups of people that get affected. You might be aware of in, in Massachusetts in the around 1700, late 1600s, the famous witch persecutions and witch trials in Salem, Massachusetts, and so on. If you look at that, again, there's a group of people there being affected by an absurd and totally irrational beliefs. And then look at reality through these completely absurd beliefs. And, and so violence then happened. Many women got killed there. It was an, obviously a mental illness that affected thousands of people in those communities. And I believe it was a, a Voltaire, the French philosopher, who said something like, if you can make people believe in absurdities, you can make them commit atrocities. In other words, the belief in absurdities can easily lead to atrocities. That's how he put it. And the belief in absurdities is a mental, a mental illness that distorts your vision of reality. And you're very susceptible to this if there's not sufficient awareness in you to know what's going on in your mind. So that thoughts no longer have the power to completely occupy your mental space, 
the awareness is that which provides you with immunity against the mental viruses. And these days, mental viruses can spread very quickly through the media that we have. They can spread around the world within a few hours or a few days. And all kinds of the weirdest things happen. I can see certain things affecting the collective consciousness, which are this, the unconsciousness, even in our societies here. And you can say, this is crazy. But the people who hold those beliefs don't know that. In fact, the moment you question it, you become their enemy. <laughs> I'm not telling you what it is. You have to know for yourself. <laughs> I'm here to deepen, intensify the awareness in you, not to convince you that some things that people believe, some beliefs are crazy. You have to see that for yourself. The famous book, 1984, by Orwell, shows how this insanity can, it's a slight, perhaps exaggeration, but maybe not that much, how an entire country and structure of governmental structure can be run by the, that kind of mental, mental dysfunction and create a kind of hell. So we have some questions, quite a few submitted from various places around the world. Um, well, where do we start? Huge choice. Susan from New Mexico. Hello, Susan, if you're there. I'm so glad to be here. Oh, I thought, I thought you were there. No matter here or there. <laughs> My question is about rumination. Daily, I keep having the same thought loop in my mind. Oh, we've just been talking about similar things. I keep having the same thought loop in my mind. The theme is one of feeling betrayed, being mistreated, basically being a victim. With the thoughts and images, there's usually resentment and or anger. This thought loop has been occurring over a year now. I'm having challenges with being the observer. The story seems to be so mesmerizing. I'm feeling frustrated that I'm continuing to have these thoughts about the past. As I understand, Holding on to the past is preventing a higher energy field to come through me. What recommendations do you have for working this issue? Any suggestions on forgiveness and letting go of the victim role so that I can express more of the deep I? The deep I is the... I don't know if I actually used this term during our sessions here. I sometimes use it. The deep eye is the, the awareness deriving your sense of self from the awareness rather than from the surface eye, which is the personality. So you have the surface eye or the deep eye. So the thought loop here 
that you are experiencing is to do with feeling betrayed, being mistreated, and being a victim. I assume these, these thoughts and emotions that are recurring again and again refer to actual events that took place. I assume that here. So there is a reliving of the events in the mind and the feeling of being mistreated, betrayed, being a victim, and there's resentment and anger with it. Been occurring over a year now, so I assume something happened a little bit before that, perhaps, and people did something to you, or somebody, one person. Now, some people have that not only for a year, as in this case, but some people have that kind of thinking, compulsive thinking going on for years and decades, sometimes going back to childhood, being badly treated in childhood or abused in childhood. So you have continuing to think about that and the more you think about that, of course, the more you feel yourself being a victim of events or usually people, other people, who did something to you. And you dwell on it and you can't stop it because the mind has a momentum. These thoughts refuse to go away. And if there's not sufficient awareness because of the continuously recurring thoughts, they become part of your identity, your sense of self, and so they become a victim. To see the necessity and the possibility of going beyond a victim identity does not deny in any way that something painful happened to you in the past, that something was done to you, that some people did something to you. To see how important it is to go beyond victim identity has nothing to do with denial of what happened. You fully see what happened. You know that and you know the emotions that it created. But the first thing is, how does a human being, how is a human being capable of inflicting suffering, for example, on a child or, or on another human? It, it happens all the time. It happens on a to individual level and it happens even more on a collective level. The, the ego, the human ego is dysfunctional enough in the individual but, but it's, it's infinitely more dysfunctional and dangerous and lethal when it operates as a collective ego in a group. And the humans who participate in these dreadful things the perpetrators, when they operate as a collective ego, not a personal, they are capable of uh, far worse atrocities and acts than they would be as an individual. So in other words, the collective ego is even more unconscious and violent and dangerous than the individual ego. Sometimes when you identify with the collective, my country, for example, 
fighting for my country, or the collective might be a political party, or, whatever, or it might be a religious group. And so you, people who belong to these entities, sometimes it seems that they become free of ego because they, they live, live completely in the service of these collective entities. I want to sacrifice myself for my country or my religion or whatever. It seems that they are completely free of the personal ego and same thing happens in sects, in cults. Uh, often people who live in cults they are totally selfless. They don't want anything. They give everything of themselves. They want nothing for themselves. They, they have identified with the group. But of course, their ego has actually had not diminished. Their ego has become enormously amplified because they now have adopted a group ego. And the group ego can only survive and subsist when it has a sufficient number of enemies out there. The group ego needs for its survival and its expansion, because it, it wants to expand and survive, but it needs the other. In other words, the other is the enemy. So th that is how humans are drawn into deep unconsciousness by identifying with the collective. You can belong to a religious group. You can, be, you can even love your country without being identified with and, and then needing other countries to be the enemy. With awareness, you can appreciate your country and you appreciate other countries too. They, they are different. So first, you see the need to be a victim. Identity also, unfortunately, is a form of ego because any conceptual identity is a form of ego. And even though you seem to be amply justified in uh, having a victim identity because of the things that other humans did to you, you yourself are finding, you are finding yourself in a kind of prison created by your mind. So there's no denial of that bad things happen to you, yes. Now question is, how do you exit this mental prison? The first step is perhaps to see that uh, unconscious human beings, unconscious human beings in the grip of their own conditioning, their own ego, they have virtually no free will. When you are unconscious, you are controlled by the mind patterns that are lodged in your psyche. You, have, you cannot really speak of free will by somebody who has zero awareness, and yet their entire makeup is uh, conditioning from the past. The famous sentence, phrase used by Jesus in connection with forgiveness on the cross, he said, forgive them for they know not what they do. Now, these points put together Forgive them. Why forgive them? They know not what they do. In other words, if he had spoken these days, using our terminology, he probably would have said, they are completely unconscious. <laughs> because that's what it means, they know not what they do. They are completely unconscious. So when you see, uh, nobody can act 
beyond their level of consciousness, then you see that it becomes almost like the evil that was perpetrated becomes almost like a natural phenomenon that is like you've been hit by lightning or something or <laughs> lived in very unpleasant climatic conditions <laughs> that, that injured you. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Eckhart Tolle, Essential Teachings, the podcast. You can follow these essential teachings on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you haven't yet, go to Spotify and follow this podcast. Join us next week for more enlightened teachings from Eckhart Tolle. Thank you for listening.